Well, hey, thank you so much for being here as they're heading out. You know, Drew mentioned this, um, that we are here to grow disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. That is who we are. That is what we do. And uh, it doesn't matter if you are new to Christianity, not yet in Christianity, or if you've been a, a, a Christian your entire life, we pray that there's always value and meaning to to what we do, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week and throughout the month and throughout the year. So it's always good to be together. So, well, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, do a little blast from the past here. A lot of you know that I'm a farm kid from Nebraska. And if you ever doubted, I have photo evidence. Okay, so, so I have some pictures up here. Uh, and when I was growing up, lived on a farm. We were five miles outside of the nearest town. And when I say town, I mean village. It was at 999 people. I was kind of like, somebody please just don't die and somebody have a baby so we can get into four digits, right? We were a village and, and we were five miles outside of town. Not only that, but we were a quarter mile off of the nearest um, like paved road. We had a quarter mile long driveway. Yes, I walked uphill both ways in the snow year round. Um, it was either snow or, or you know, desert blowing winds, hot winds. But, but anyhow, I grew up on a farm. One of the things that we did um, was uh, we raised chickens. And not the cute uh, egg layer chickens. They were the ugly. They were the ugly chickens. Yes, that is me right there. I was, I think, like eighth, ninth grade around that time, and uh, I was allergic to sleeves. And so, um, so yeah. But anyhow, so the funny thing about chickens is that we would go get them from the hatchery and in the top left corner, they're so cute. Like you go to IFA or Tractor Supply or Cal Ranch and they have these adorable little chickens. Don't buy it. They're lying. They're, they're, they will turn ugly. They will molt, which molting means that they lose their feathers and they get like really gross looking. And then they just eat and they eat and they eat and then they just poop a ton. And uh, so that's what you do, right? You have them for about six, eight weeks. You feed them um, all this food. And uh, by the way, uh, uh, Katie, FFA, you did FFA. This is my SOE project right here. So there you go. There you go. Fellow FFAers. She's kind of like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but anyhow, so this, we did this every summer, right? And, and as we'd, we'd fatten them up, they would get really disgusting and, and gross. So then what it came time to, next slide, is, is that is me. I would go into our chicken barn and I would grab them by their feet. I would always grab two by their feet and then I would run across the yard. And like, we're talking old school. We lived where my grandpa like lived like in the early 1900s, early mid 1900s. And we had a clothesline because that was before dryers. And so you'd have these high, like this thick gauge metal wire and, and you would hang clothes on there to dry them because we didn't have dryers. Well, we had a dryer, but still my mom was old school. Um, and so, oh, you went right to it. There you go. There you go. Way to go. Way to spoil a surprise, Drew. We would take the chickens and we would have wire hanging down and we'd take about six at a time and we'd wrap the wire around their feet and then they would be dangling upside down like that. And you would go, you grab the head and you take a knife and whoosh, throw the head. Next one, whoosh, throw the head. Next one, whoosh, throw the head. Now what's gross is that like they would flop around, you know, the old thing running around with a chicken, running around like a chicken with its head, heads cut off. It is a thing like chickens will just, if you don't 
secure them, they will run around. And the problem is, is that they will bruise the meat. And so they're flapping around, running into everything and they'll bruise the meat that you're raising them for. Right. And so my mom had this genius idea of timing upside down and then they'd flop around and they're, you know, it'd spit blood everywhere. And, and, and we would do this. We'd had a hundred up to 200 chickens and, and you would get all this, this blood all over you. And then as soon as you do that, you would, and by the way, I mean, style, right? I had it. I had it. If anybody wants to come as Jason in the late 80s, early 90s next year to the costume party, I, I'm sure you could find that garb somewhere. So, but then the next one, you would, what do you do after you butcher them, right? You, you take them over to boiling hot water and you defeather them. And then we'd take them into our, into uh, the, the room that we would, we would gut them. And we'd have five gallon buckets that you would have this, this, you just, just right there. And we'd have these buckets of guts. And after like, uh, you know, a dozen or two, it was so full. What do you do with it? Well, we lived literally our nearest neighbor was like three fourths of a mile away. You just, there's, you just go into the field and you dig a hole and you dump the guts in and you bury it and then it rots, right? It's fertilizer. And then, you know, you'd freeze it and then we'd sell it or we'd eat it. And this whole process, right? You have, you have the, the fecal matter from the chicken barn, you have the blood, you have the feathers, you have the guts, you have everything all over you. To this day, the sights, the sounds, the smells freak me out. In fact, you, you, there's certain ways that people make chicken that I just smell like, oh, oh, I just can't. I just can't like this. There's a certain smell. If you fix it a certain way or a certain texture, I was like, no, I'm out. I'm out. Give me some cow because I never butchered a cow. Right. Why am I telling you this gross story? And, and, and you're welcome for putting the little black dots over their little, you know, headless things. Right. Um, I figured I pushed it too far last week with the dog poop brownies, you know? Um, so I didn't want to go that far again, but why am I telling you this story? Is it just to exhibit, you know, fashion of the late 80s, early 90s? Is it to, you know, just gross you out? No, it's to actually help us catch a glimpse of when we read the Bible, what it was like. See, if we read the Old Testament, how were people made right with God? Animal sacrifice. They, I mean, think about it. We read the Old Testament. I love your temple, O Lord. I love your sacrifice, O Lord. And then the Levites did this, and and they would they would sacrifice temple and Passover, and 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 Jesus went into the to the city of Jerusalem as Passover is doing. We're like, yay! It's like a big party. Do you have any idea how gross that was? To be a clergy member in the Old Testament in in this system meant that every day you went to work, ready to kill animals ready to be splattered by blood, ready to hold down. Like you're, you're taking these doves and these, and these, these goats and, or these lambs and these, these cattle and things like that. And you're holding them down and they're squawking, they're bellowing, they're, they're resisting because you're holding them down and then they slit their throat and blood spurts everywhere. And then they, you know, they do all sorts of stuff to it and, and they kill these animals and the sights, the sounds, the smells are disgusting. Like, you know, the old thing of, of, I love being a pastor some days it's hard and other days it's like, I get paid to do this, right? Like, like I love what I do, but can you imagine going to work every day thinking it's like the Tyson chicken factory, 
but not as sterile, not as clean. And then a lot of times what they would do is that they would, they would take the, the sacrificed animals and then they would burn it on the altar and animal after animal, after animal, day after day, after day, year after year, after year. I mean, you think how, how, how glorious it is, right? The temple square and everything like that, like the temple complex in, in Jerusalem and everything like that, and how glorious it is. There's blood running away from the altar. What are they doing with the, with the discarded carcasses, right? I mean, we have this romanticized image of what the sacrificial system was like, and we need to shatter that. We need to pit, uh, put a pin in that balloon and burst it because it was gross. It was, it, was, it was disgusting. Okay, why then? Why did we do this? Why is that a part of our religious heritage and history? Because we are created by a perfect and holy God. And that God made us perfect and holy in his image. We broke that image when we chose to sin. Adam and Eve chose to sin, and we've continued to choose to sin. And there's this system that says, if there's something wrong, it needs to be made right. Well, how do we make it right? And so God put in process this system to say, well, this happens. Okay, this has to be done to cover that, to make it right, to justify it, to heal it, to restore it, to reconcile it. Now we can say, well, God, why would God do this, right? Isn't that a bit gross? Every system in the history of the world operates on the same principle. Like it's not just Judaism that did that, right? Like you go to almost any other civilization in history and there is some sort of sacrificial system where something is wrong, we have to do this to make it right. I mean, Judaism was actually by far the most civil because you had a lot of other uh, civilizations and, and, and religions that would sacrifice anything, including children. They would do human sacrifice all the time because the whole idea of, well, the price needs to match the offense. Well, what's more precious than, than children? What's more precious than people, right? And so all of a sudden now, like Judaism starts to look like really good, <laughs> right? Like not nearly as savage as a lot of these other uh, religions and groups. And let's be honest, don't we still operate on this system today? If something is done wrong, do we still not operate on something has to be done to make it right? I mean, if you go against the flow of culture and, and the world, they'll take a pound of flesh. They want to see your blood flow, literally or figuratively. And, and that's just the way the world operates. I mean, you look at, at um, well, well, we'll get to this a little bit more later. But you look at, okay, why does the world operate this way? I'm going to ask you a question. What if there's another way? What if the system that God put in place in the Old Testament was meant to build up to something or someone else, something more? What if we weren't meant to be stuck in a system that's a continuous and never-ending cycle of bloody sacrifices? What if all the generations of sacrifice were actually leading up and pointing to something much deeper and more lasting? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the doctrine of justification. It's a very churchy, religious-sounding word, justification, right? Justification basically means this, being made right, being found innocent, being made whole, 
being saved. Now, historical biblical Christianity says that we are justified or saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Where do we get that idea from? Right? Instead of this endless cycle of sacrifice and, and all these kind of things like that, how what does it mean to be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone? We're actually going to go super scripture heavy, and then we're going to just going to quickly look at some application. These are some longer passages. You can follow along there in your discussion card too. But Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 16, it says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. He says, if you try to reproduce, recreate the sacrificial system to where the onus is back on us, I've become doubly amount of a sinner, right? <laughs> there we go. Thank you. There you go. That's awkward. There we go. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right for God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Ephesians chapter two says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and in, in inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is rich, is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Another one's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made, made right with God, uh, sorry, made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserving, uh, undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at, uh, at just the right time and died for us sinners. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Last one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Verse after verse after verse, passage after passage, teaching after teaching, it talks about how we are saved, we are justified, we are made right with God through God's loving grace as shown through Jesus on the cross. The great, uh, that, that grace is a gift that we simply received, right? Grace is a gift. If we earned it, it's a wage. And so that's why we say we're saved by grace through faith in what Christ, who Christ is and what he did for us. If you're like me, sometimes it's hard to receive a gift. Last week, Nicole and I, and I know Drew and Allie too, we were kind of blown away by, by the pastor's appreciation gift. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, like really? Like, like, thank you, but it doesn't seem nearly like sufficient because it's sometimes it's hard to receive a gift. It's humbling. And it's sort of like, oh my gosh, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. But yet we simply receive it. Pretty much every other religion other than Christianity, every other system operates on a system of works, earning, and achievement. I mean, think about it. Religions have temples, they have ordinances, they have sacrifices, they have works, they have laws, they have codes, they have all sorts of things that we use to qualify ourselves. I remember I've talked with people before that says, yeah, we need more religion. We need more religion. We need more religion. Why? Well, because it makes us better people. Because we can do these things to make ourselves better. Basically, in that paradigm, God becomes the means to our end instead of the end itself. I mean, think about that. Like, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get a little bit of money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So that way I know I'm living right and, and I'm okay, right? Like I've qualified myself to be okay. But even non-religions still have morals and codes and ethics and and definitions and qualifications of what it means to be a good person. Everybody has their own definition of what it means to be a good person. And if if you you toe the line and you're a part of what this group says, it's a good person, well, you're a good person, then you're good. If you step outside of that, then, then you've got to pay the price. You've got to come back into the fold, right? But both the religious and the non-religious rely on a never-ending and exhausting system of qualifying ourselves. There's another way. It's kind of funny. Um, I've been getting back in the gym after football is over, and I realized how incredibly out of shape I am. Like, like I was laughing with someone that said, oh, it's awesome. I've been seeing you in the gym again. How's it going? I said, I've been managing to go just off enough. You know, a lot of times you think I'm going to go and I'm going to see my, 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 my reps like increase and stuff. I've been going just enough to see it decrease. Like, it's just depressing. Like every time I go, it's so like, but wait a minute, I got to go. I'm telling you the most shameful thing in the gym is when you go and you pick up the weights. Cause they're all in a like little, like the, the, the pink and the yellow and the blue and the purple. And then you get into like the, the black rubber ones and and then it goes over here and then you have like the hyperroid freak section over here 
that that like like who even ever uses those but you go over here and you're kind of like i'm gonna oh yeah i can do these and you pick them up and you go down and it's sort of like you're three reps in it so like no i'm back i'm gonna go over here right like it's embarrassing right but we we want to work so hard and and it's kind of like but yet we get on the treadmill and we run and we run and we run and we run and then you get out on a trail and it's kind of like oh my gosh i'm gonna die you know it's exhausting it's exhausting and yeah, we might be seeing success for a while, but I'm telling you, the older we get, the, it's sort of like we won't be able to do that forever. At some time, the drug stops hitting for us. The drug stops hitting, and it won't do what we want it to do. There's got to be something else. Well, biblical Christian doctrine of justification shows us, especially we see it so clearly in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that our justification means that in Jesus, our past is wiped clean. All the things from the moment that we bowed on our knees and said, God, my life is yours, everything leading up to that point is gone. All the embarrassing things, all the stupid things, all the hurtful things, all the sinful things, all the dark things, all the things that we would die if it came out, right? Like all those are gone. Jesus said, I buried that, I, I, I died for that on the cross, and then I buried it in the tomb, and your sins are gone. As far as the east is from the west, so your sins are separated, right? Because of Jesus, our past is wiped clean. So we are justified from everything that we'd ever done up to that point. And then we talk about the future, right? Now we think, I prayed the prayer, my, I'm free, and now I got to go to heaven. And that's very true because I'm telling you, when you think about eternity, my mind starts to just get blown, right? You start thinking about what heaven's going to be like, what eternity even is, and what comes after this. Like, like all of a sudden your brain starts firing in whole different ways. But to think that God so clearly says that if we are, if our name is in his book of life, we're with him. And even if our worst accusers and Satan himself says, yeah, but you did this. Yeah, but you did that. And that doesn't matter. It was covered by the blood of Christ, and I'm with him, and I am free for eternity, right? And so our past is gone. Our future is secured. But what about right here and right now? I think that's one of the biggest tragedies in the Christian faith is that a lot of times justification is only for the past and the future, and we forget how it is for the present as well. In reality... Our justification by God's grace alters and transforms everything right here and right now. And with a little bit of time we have left, I want to look at what that means. I love how Paul David Tripp puts it in his book. He says, can you think clearly about how this gospel of grace changes the way we handle the sin, weakness, and failure that are the inescapable experience of everyday life? Are you able to apply the doctrine of justification to the realities of your everyday life? The gospel of justifying grace is not just a means of entrance into relationship with God and a guarantee of eternity with him, but is also a brand new culture to be lived right here, right now. The doctrine of justification changes everything. The problem is that so many Christians neither know nor understand this. Too often we believe, we, we say that we believe in the gift of justification. 
but then we live according to the old system. Kind of like, thank you for wiping out my past. Thank you for letting me go to heaven. But in the meantime, I'm going to default to the sacrificial system where we're going to keep tabs. I'm going to give my best effort. I'm going to do my best to live right. Like, it's so funny. Like, like I always make the joke, like uh, you're driving in a parking lot and everything's full and, and, and all of a sudden a, a, a parking lot right in the front opens up. Well, I must be living right. I must be living so good that God blessed me by this, you know, Joel Osteen, it was sort of something about life. Sorry, I should, I mean, there's a really famous uh, health and wealth uh, pastor that, that, you know, is kind of like, well, you know, my wife has her own private jet and stuff. Well, must be living right, you know? And a lot of times we default to how the good things are because we're living right. I did something special that God is blessing me with because of how good I am. Old sacrificial system. The wheels are falling off right now. Well, I must have done something to make God mad. I must have. Now, there's choices and consequences, right? And sometimes we make stupid choices, and then we have dumb consequences, right? And there's there's truth to that. But at the same time, a lot of times we feel that guilt and that condemnation and that shame, and we forget that we are covered. So five quick things that help us bridge the gap from belief and act between belief and action, knowing and doing five things that living out a biblical understanding of justification does. First of all, it helps us practice humility. Justification by grace destroys our pride. It shatters our self glory. When we're tempted to be prideful, demanding, condemning, controlling, we're no longer grace-based, right? Like we're no longer operating out of God's grace for us. The same grace that went up to the prostitute, to the adulterer, to the tax collector, to the heathen, to the, to the traitor, to the outcast, to the unclean. And it, that, that same grace that he fully embraced them. We always say God loves us just the way we are but he loves us too much to leave us that way, right? That's not a loving thing to leave us in squalor and sin and brokenness. He wants to heal us. He loves us. He doesn't say, clean yourself up, and then I'll let you in because you're worthy to see me, right? No, he gets his hands dirty in our lives. And that's humbling. That is really, really humbling when we allow God into the craziness of our lives. Well, the problem is, is that how do we live that out? It's sort of like, yeah, thank you, God, for that. But then how do we respond to our spouse, to our kid, to our parents, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, to complete strangers? How do we humbly live out the doctrine of justification by grace in those? Because a lot of times, thank you for saving my sinful soul, Jesus. Now you better get, you better work hard to get right with me. You did that to me and you're going to pay until you make it right. You see what I'm talking about here? Like a lot of times we default to that sacrificial system. So justification by grace is humbling. We have to walk in humility. Number two, we need to practice gratitude. We need to view all of life as a gift. All of life as a gift. When the good is coming, thank you, God. When the bad is coming at us, thank you, God makes me think about how we can learn and grow from it all. Any, any, any Jocko Willink fans in here? Okay. All right. Good. Jocko. 
I'm going to start talking like this now for the rest of the sermon. Okay, there we go. No, I love, have you guys seen his video on good? Basically, it's kind of like, hey, life happens, good. You don't, you don't get the promotion, good. You get sick, good. Adversity hits you, good. It's an opportunity to learn and to grow, to expand what God is doing in your life. Life comes at you hard, good. It's not out of God's control. And it's an opportunity for God's strength to made, be made perfect in our weakness. Good. Too often we have this theology, this doctrine, that if things aren't going exactly like they want, life is out of control, God is not good, and, and I can't probably trust them anymore. Instead, the doctrine of uh, biblical doctrine of justification means that we trust God and we are thankful for it. Jocko actually echoes Paul's words of considerate all a joy. Gratitude leads to growth and to joy. Number three, embrace freedom. And I'm not talking an imitation freedom of, hey, you do you, anything goes, whatever makes you happy. You know, this, this, this imitation, filtering my words right now, view of freedom. Because what the world says is freedom is not freedom. It's enslaving ourselves to something different. This is biblical freedom, where we live our life in line with who God designed us to be. You see, I could take my phone and I could say, hey, freedom, my, 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 my phone wants to be a hammer. And so, well, it, it, it's, it wants to be a hammer, so I'm going to go use it like a hammer. Is that free for my phone? No, it's going to destroy my phone. It's a phone. It's a delicate piece of technology. It needs to be used accordingly. Would I go up to a sledgehammer and say, hey, help me communicate with my son who's a thousand miles away? No, it's just not going to work, right? And I can hit it. It's just, it doesn't make sense. What freedom means is that we are living according to the way that we were designed, that our creator designed us. We're no longer bound by these human systems of laws and codes that we use to earn acceptance, worth, and freedom. God already gives us that. We are free because our past is wiped clean, our future is secure, and we get to live in the here and now with God, according to how he calls us. Last week, we looked at how sin in the garden led to fear, shame, and blame, justification, leads us to freedom from those things. No longer do we have to be uh, controlled by the choices of others, the way people think about us, the way people treat us, the way people act, because here's the reality, and I am a poster child of this, is that the way I'm treated, the way I'm, you know, I can, I can justify all sorts of sinful things. Well, because they did this and they did that, and, and they're so bad, blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying, hey, that's between them and God, I am called to be an ambassador of God's grace, God's love, God's transformation. That is who I'm called to be. I'm not called to be their judge. I'm not called to condemn. I'm not called to punish. I'm not called to, to, to rise up and to make sure that they pay, right? Instead, we are free from that. Can you imagine how our relationships, home, work, community, nation, world, if we would just say, I'm really sorry that you feel that way. Tell me about it. What did I do that hurt you? 
Or why do you disagree with me so much? And, and, and let's talk about that. Having the freedom to instead of, oh, I'll meet your fire with fire, right? Because we always know that goes so well. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We are free. We are free to engage people with love. And when God says ambassadors to people who are dying of sin, let's not be a bunch of Jonas. It's, it's incredible at how God is working in a lot of our lives right now. And a lot of us are, are experiencing this freedom to actually be honest and to be real. And to say, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm wrestling with this. I'm hurting here. I'm, I'm, I, I need help with this. And there's confession together. And there's, there's like, please help me with this. That is free. You ever had that moment where you've been carrying something for so long and then all of a sudden you, you know, like, I could never share this with someone. And all of a sudden you share it with someone and they're like, yeah, I totally understand what you're talking about because I've dealt with that too. Or, you know, yeah, let's, let's go to God with this, right? Hey, thanks for sharing. And it's kind of like, I've been carrying that load for years and all I had to do is just be honest with somebody. How freeing is that? Fourth, we need to embrace the identity that comes with justification. Justification means adoption. When Nicole and I were, were um, newlyweds, she, you know, um, Nicole is a save the world person. Like she, she like wants to save the world <laughs> powerhouse. Right. And, and one of the things that she was like, I really, she, she wanted to adopt. And, and this is pretty personal, but like, she really wanted to adopt. And I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I like the idea of adoption. I was, I just, I, there was too many, too many questions that I had. And so we started having, having, having children. And, and it was, it was crazy because after our fourth, I was kind of like, something happened in my heart and my life with God, where I was kind of like, I realized that God's love for us is not a biological parental love. It is an adoptive parental love. We are not here because of some carnal attraction between God and something else. We are here because God's adoptive love to us. To me, I started to understand that as one of the most pure kind of loves that you could ever have because God chooses us. And like these passages say, it's not because we were so ador adorable and darling. He adopted us in our sinfulness, in our brokenness. That is sacrificial love. Well, that brings with it an identity. That brings with it a whole new identity that nobody can take away. Nothing can take away the identity that God has in us. I start to look back at the struggle, some of the struggles that I've had with in, in life, especially early on, it was identity related. I just, I was insecure. I wasn't enough this, I was too much that. And, and I just, every day I was kind of like, I wasn't sure who I was. And it, and it was not fun. It was not easy because I used everything to try to give myself identity. I was trying to find my identity. And finally, I remember realizing, oh my gosh, God gives me identity. Instead of worrying about all these things that I'm not, look at what I am. And once I started to grow in that, now all of a sudden you experience that freedom that I was thankful for, and I was really humbly grateful for it, right? God gives us an identity when he justifies us. 
If you go kind of down the, the legal understanding of atonement, right? God pays the price for us and therefore we are his. In the, in the Greco-Roman culture, there was, there was um, basically somebody could buy someone out of slavery and they would adopt them into their family and no longer were they, you know, this, this uh, isolated uh, person that would, had no identity, no value, no purpose. Instead, they became a part of their household. They became a part of their immediate family. And their lives were forever changed because of that. That's the image that God wants us to understand. We cannot try to find horizontally what God has already given us vertically. Can you imagine the difference that it would make in our relationships and our lives if instead of looking to people, places, things, experiences, et cetera, et cetera, to give us identity, instead we listen to who God says we are because he adopted us. And last fifth is we need to walk and empowerment. Justification means that God has put his spirit in us. This isn't some weird, you know, self-help, self-actualization thing. It's God putting his spirit in us. It's giving us his presence and his power that we are never alone and we are never on our own. We're never going to go through something that God can't handle. So again, all these things, this doctrine of justification the salvation through, God, through, through grace should radically transform how we relate with every aspect of our lives. I mean, one of my prayers is, is that today, this week, that, that really wrestles with us is if I am justified by grace through, through, through grace, uh, by, by grace, through faith in Jesus alone, why am I so really attached? Why am I so controlling? Why am I so angsty? Why am I so nervous? Why am I so so insecure? Why am I so domineering? Why am I so this? Why am I so that? And how am I taking these things out on the people, places, things, experiences, possessions around me? What does that mean to surrender those to God? Recognizing that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. When he was dying on the cross, when he said, it is finished. It was finished. It was done. The treadmill is unplugged. The journey is over. We're with him. He is with us. God can and already has given us everything that we need. We are free in him. And I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says that God is making his appeal to a broken world through us, the poster children of God's grace. How can we live that out in a meaningful way? Our marriages, our, our family relationships, our friendships, our, our, our workplace relationships, our communities, our mental health, everything is transformed by God's grace. That is good news. So this morning, we want to close out uh, by observing, by celebrating what Jesus did for us, for this justification. Jesus called his followers together and said, every time you do this, remember, this is my body that's been broken for you. This is my blood that's been shed for you. I did it. It is done. 
remember it. Remember that your life is completely transformed by this justification. That's a gift of my grace for you. And so this morning, the worship team is going to uh, close out with two songs. And, and I invite you to, to come up. And we have some bread. You can dip it in one of the, the, the wine or the juice, or we have another option there. But I want to invite you. We don't, we don't talk about membership. We don't talk about you know qualifications or anything, because guess what? The table is open. And whether you've been following Jesus for years, or this is the moment you decide to follow him, or anything in between, Jesus did this for you. And if this is a meaningful way to say, Jesus, thank you, I accept the gift of your justification. It is a gift of grace. I can get off the treadmill. I can stop striving. I can tr stop trying to achieve. I can stop trying to, to do all these things. But instead, all I have to do is simply surrender. If that's your prayer, if that's your heart, I invite you to come forward. We'll have a line. We'll, 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 if they need to play a couple extra verses, they can. But let this be a meaningful time of surrender between you and your creator. The one who gave everything to come into his own creation to pay that price, to say, yeah, you sinned. It was bad. It's been bad, but I'm better. I do this because I love you. That's really good news. Amen. So let's pray. And then as you feel led, just come on up and, and uh, just encourage you to spend that time just celebrating your forgiveness, your salvation with your creator. God, we love you so much. Thank you so much that, that you love us. You love us in, in a very meaningful way. God, you gave everything. You poured yourself out into your own creation. Instead of giving us the list of do's and don'ts to qualify ourselves, God, you paid the price. And then you say, are you with me? God, this morning, we want to say we are with you. We surrender to you. Yeah, life can be hard. And there's times where, where we need to step up and, and we need to live out our salvation. But God, we live it out. We live from our salvation. We don't work for it. And so, God, I pray that this morning as we as we celebrate communion, that it's a meaningful reminder of the price that you paid. God, that we don't have to show up every day and cover ourselves with the blood and the grit and the grossness of sacrifice because you already paid that price. God, thank you for that freedom. Thank you for that love and all that comes with it. God, I thank you for each one here, those who are listening online or, or later on. God, I pray that, that these words, that, that your word would just resonate deep into our hearts and our lives. We'd look at the experiences in our lives and we'd filter them through the perspective of justification by your grace. God, we pray this is your name. Amen.